This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock. The government spent months and millions of dollars making a new plan for strengthening public media, and they kept the public and the media mostly out of the loop while they did it. But this week, the government finally announced a new public media entity as soon as next year to replace state-owned TVNZ and RNZ. It's the biggest shake-up in broadcasting for years. So this week we ask, what's the plan? How will it work? What will it cost? And what will we get out of it? Minister, can I stick your, uh, get you to put your, your media minister hat on for a second, please? When can we expect an announcement regarding Television New Zealand and Radio New Zealand in their future? Look, we'll have uh, an announcement very soon for that, um, uh, Lisa. Um, I'm not going to go this, into this week. Any, How I'm soon is soon, any, minister? Any more details on that? Um, but um, when we're ready to make an announcement, we will. That was Lisa Owen on RNZ's Checkpoint last Tuesday asking the Broadcasting and Media Minister Chris Farfoy when he would tell the public what he and his fellow Cabinet Ministers had decided for the future of our public broadcasting. But she was asking more in hope than expectation there. Two weeks had already passed since the Cabinet had reportedly given their plan a final green light. Now, ever since he first signalled a shake-up more than two years ago, almost everything's been done behind closed doors, with only a select few broadcasting executives, civil servants and ministers being kept in the loop. But even as Chris Farfoy was telling Checkpoint, wait and see, last Tuesday, the big reveal this week was actually already ready to roll. Less than 20 minutes later, the minister's office announced to journalists that the media would make an announcement in Christchurch last Thursday. And this is why the government will create a new organisation by the middle of next year, building on the, re- building on the best of RNZ and TVNZ to future-proof public media for New Zealanders for decades to come. And in the end, Chris Farfoy couldn't attend in person, but via video, he confirmed what had already been widely reported. Our existing state-owned broadcasters would be subsumed into a new body next year. And Chris Farfoy offered this reassurance to those who want their listening and their news ad-free. I want to be clear to a commitment that we have made from the outset, and that is all current non-commercial programming and platforms will endure. In plain English, the likes of Radio New Zealand National and Concert FM will continue. In plain English, the government is committed to them. The exciting thing about the new entity is it will create an opportunity for those strongly focused public media platforms to grow stronger. But other key things remain quite unclear, as we'll hear. And at this point, it was the secrecy that had been comprehensive. Throughout the process, even the leaders of the broadcasters concerned, whose future was up in the air, claimed to know nothing more. Just a fortnight ago, for example, TVNZ's chair Andy Coop told a parliamentary committee this. You could say we're flying blind, but the same token, we are awaiting a decision. I think we'll react quickly and proactively when we receive it. And shortly after that, TVNZ's brand new Chief Executive Simon Power, just two days into his new job, told the MPs this. While TVNZ, as you all know, operates under a commercial remit, our strategic focus and investment is consistent with those public media objectives which seek to deliver high-value local programming to viewers and the various platforms they watch and listen on. For years, TVNZ, at the direction of its shareholder, the government, has operated as a highly commercial entity dominating free-to-air TV. So much so that this was the reason the government's previous plan for broadcasting reform excluded TVNZ completely. Its culture wasn't compatible with public broadcasting, the former minister Claire Curran said just four years ago. 
Now, the thing we did know from Cabinet papers before this week's announcement was that the revenue for the new public media entity will come from Crown and non-Crown sources. In plain English, as Chris Farfoy might say, that's a mix of public funding and commercial revenue, making this new public media entity dependent upon TVNZ's ability to pull in more than $300 million a year from ads. Now, precisely how the rest of this new public media entity will be funded, from the public purse, was not part of the big reveal on Thursday. Financial details were redacted from the responses to the business case and other documents made public the same day as the announcement, when the minister would merely say, we'll have to wait till the next budget to find out. Now, the minister also said that details of how the transition would happen would be down to an establishment board that's not yet been appointed and isn't yet in place, prompting this question from RNZ's deputy political editor, Craig McCulloch. Given that this process has been going on now since the end of last term and viewers, listeners, really none the wiser today about what this is actually going to look like in practice, shouldn't you be able to answer some of those questions by now? Craig, I want to make it very clear that some of the questions that are being asked today are not for ministers to decide. And that's another contrast with the previous policy position of this government when they said they wanted a non-commercial TV channel from RNZ from a $38 million proposed funding boost. And previous Labour governments have made half-hearted, low-budget attempts to boost public service television through TVNZ. The TVNZ charter, introduced in 2002, was scrapped by a subsequent national-led government within a decade, and publicly funded non-commercial TVNZ channels, introduced first in TVNZ7, were both gone by 2012. So how do we know that this new public media entity policy will pan out any better? Later, we'll ask the Minister, Chris Farfoy. But first, one expert who's followed public broadcasting funding closely over the years is Dr Peter Thompson at Victoria University of Wellington, and he's also a former chair of the campaign group Better Public Media. Actually, you have to organise the funding arrangements alongside the organisational structure. By delegating the the organisational questions to, to this new establishment committee, and by apparently deferring the funding decisions to, to, a, to the next budget round, the two may not be aligned. So uh, you, you have to make sure that if you have a vision for this new entity uh, to deliver public service across a wide range of platforms, which I think is a wonderful idea, you have to make sure that there's adequate funding for it. And at the moment, I'm not sure there is. We just don't know. There are other public media entities, such as CBC in Canada and RTE in Ireland, uh, that that do perform a good public service function. But in both cases, the ratio of public funding is over 50%. Now, at the moment, RNZ is virtually fully funded from the public purse through New Zealand on Air. That's a a block allocation. TVNZ gets a little bit of money from New Zealand on Air, but, but it wins through a competitive process. But otherwise, TVNZ relies on $300 million of commercial revenue. Now, what the government got wrong previously with the TVNZ charter is it only provided about $15 million a year, which is around 5% of its overall funding. And that simply isn't sufficient to offset the prioritisation of of commercial factors in all all your programming decisions. Just from a news consumer's perspective, a media consumer's perspective, What's actually going to be different with this new public media entity? In the short term, it's pretty clear that there isn't going to be a tremendous overhaul. Um, We'll still have uh, Radio New Zealand National and Concert. I mean, doubtless we'll still have TV1, TV2, Duke and any other subsidiary services. But 
But I think I think the real issue here is is the expansion of public service measures online. So expanding public service on a range of platforms and making it publicly visible and accessible is a really important part of this. Exactly what it will look like, we don't know. If there's confusion over what's being prioritised, and certainly if, if it's the case that the funding from the government is limited and the new entity has to seek new, new revenue streams from these new services that it might develop, then there's a pretty good chance that those services are going to have to prioritise commercial types of content. And that's not to say that the content will be poor, but it's unlikely to serve a wide range of audiences and it's unlikely to provide a wide range of genres that you would expect under a public service mandate. In many respects, we're, we're not really that much the wiser from when the ministers first started talking about a new public media entity back in 2019, 2020. So basically, like in Canada, like in Ireland, you would have liked to see the government commit to 50% plus public funding for this new entity. Well, I, 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 I would have loved to have seen that, but that, that's really my dear Santa letter. Um, what I think would have been realistic would, would be to say, well, what, what do we need to, to, to invest in order to significantly change the overall texture of the schedule? You know, what, what do we need to make a difference, at least on one of TVNZ's channels? And if you don't want to change TV1 and TV2 because they're commercially functioning, um, maybe to, to bring in a new channel, a bit like the old TVNZ7, perhaps. Now, how much would that cost? Well, I'm thinking in realistic terms, you, you, you wouldn't be getting much change out of, say, $50 million a year. Now, the risk in all of this, of course, is, is that you, uh, you need to get that public money protected or insulated from the annual budget round wrangling. I mean, if, if you subject um, the, the funding for this new entity to, to the annual budget deliberations, then I think, I think there's a real concern that, that it will be last in the queue after uh, pu- you know, public housing, after education, after health, after Maori development, after all these other Im- very important portfolios. When you line them all up against public broadcasting and public media services, you know, the, the latter always seems to be the runt of the litter, I'm afraid. And so to future-proof it, you, you have to make provisions that go well beyond simply saying we're committed to it as a government, not least because any future government can change that with the stroke of a budget pen. That's Dr Peter Thompson, an Associate Professor in Media at Victoria University of Wellington and also a former chair of campaign group Better Public Media, talking there to Media Watch's Hayden Donnell. Now, predictably, perhaps, the National Party did oppose the plan unveiled on Thursday. The party's deputy leader, Nicola Willis, said that the government spends far too much on costly restructures, and she reckoned that's all this would be. So I asked National's long-serving broadcasting spokesperson, Melissa Lee, who formerly made publicly funded current affairs shows for TVNZ, would she unpick the government's public media plan if the National Party takes power? It's already cost so many millions of dollars getting to this stage. And as far as I'm concerned, all of those millions would have been better spent putting it into content rather than fiddling around with the actual structure and providing uncertainty for people who are involved. All of the journalists, all of the workers at RNZ and TVNZ. But I don't think any national government would actually unpick something just for the sake of unpicking. It has to make sense. If we needed to actually tighten the... uh, the rules to make sure that public interest content is actually something that we need to fund, then that's something that needed to be looked at rather than the structure of RNZ and TVNZ merging, I would have thought. 
we're going to have to wait for the budget uh, to, to find out what level of Crown funding they're prepared to put into this. So if it is substantial, that will reassure people that we won't have a public broadcaster, you know, dependent on Television New Zealand's ability to get ads uh, to keep running. But do you fear that if it is substantial, that that will uh, increase this perception out there that media compliance or um, or perhaps passivity is um, or a dependence is being created that's not healthy on public funding for media? Growing dismistrust of uh, journalists and media at the moment. And the more the government wades into the territory where news is being funded by government, how many people are in fact going to actually trust the news? You know, when you talk about New Zealand on air funding, I, I'm I'm a beneficiary of that because we made a television program called Asia Down Under, which would not have uh, succeeded in the commercial market. And New Zealand on air's mandate was to fund things that was of interest and diverse communities. I, I think that's actually a good thing because there are there are programs that we can make that is actually of public good and of interest to different communities. And when an entity is beholden to the government for the funding, people will doubt whether they are, in fact, independent of the government of the day that actually funds them. Yeah, I, I, I am really quite concerned about that. And I think Radio New Zealand journalists and TVNZ journalists, I mean, on both sides, uh, take pride in their own entities. How they're actually going to work is unsure. Who's going to be taking the lead? And where does the editorial lead actually come from? That was Melissa Lee, the National Party's broadcasting spokesperson, speaking to me last Thursday. The boss who's dealing with any anxiousness in RNZ's newsrooms or elsewhere at the broadcaster is Chief Executive Paul Thompson, who's also RNZ's Editor-in-Chief. From early on, he and RNZ's board have backed the public media entity plan enthusiastically, even though it will extinguish RNZ, even in the absence of key details such as how much money the government will put where its media mouth is. So I asked him this week, why is he confident that this will be better for RNZ's audience than the way things are now? I think a couple of things. One is that the policy really does take a good look at the problems that it's it's hoping to, to deal with. Almost unrivaled power of the global platforms, um, the rise of misinformation and disinformation, the commercial pressures that all advertising dependent businesses, uh, media businesses are facing. So I think it's done a good job of analysing where the issues are. And then I think it moves more into the kind of like, what is the opportunity? We know that RNZ and TVNZ are strong in broadcast. We know that we're both getting stronger in digital delivery. But there's a lot more that will need to happen in terms of digital services to deliver on that public media charter. And I think that's the other thing which I think the policy has got right, which gives me confidence. They've done some really good work around the charter itself. You're actually going to have to be thinking about where audiences are, how are they behaving now, where where is the behaviour changing, how do you reach those underserved audiences. And I think that all points this organisation in a direction where it will need to be flexible. So to me that does give me confidence that it will be a very future-proofed organisation. Well, the the name of the government's policy is strong public media, but what allows you to do more in this policy? I mean, how, how will we know? Because initially, it'll just be the same two organisations, won't it? They'll be working in tandem in the way they do as they move towards something uh, new into the future. Well, I think there has to be an increase in funding for this new entity to make a difference. Any profit that it generates will be ploughed back into public media services, and the Cabinet paper actually makes that really clear. But I think you make a good point. I haven't seen the financial um, plan behind this. I don't know what's in the budget bit. 
Well, that's all redacted, isn't it? From it's all, all the documents redacted. Made, so, made public on Thursday. So yeah. I'm waiting to see that myself. I think it's a big question. We'll talk about that in just a second. But first of all, this is still, I think, to people sounding a bit abstract. We're going to have some new thing. We don't know how it's going to be governed, what it'll be called. Will we have a single news staff, RNZ and TVNZ, within three or four years? Will there be a single news website, for example, as opposed to the two that currently offer? Uh, will, it, will it indeed offer a national news service that all the, the media... Are any of those things likely to happen? I don't know. The stage we're at is, if you like, putting the building blocks in place to make sure it's really robust. While I understand why people want all of the detail, it actually would be wrong, I think, to get ahead of putting those building blocks in place in the legislation. Because if you if you start making those decisions now and then the final piece of legislation is adapted, then you're potentially going down the wrong path. So I think we do need to be patient. This is such a big change. I think all of those questions you've raised will be dealt with um, by the board and the management team of this organisation over a number of years, um, and that's the right place for them to be determined. You would not want to be coming in and being responsible for this organisation and a whole lot of the details already being worked through and you handed it on a plate. But if you're talking about building blocks and a foundation, I mean, you're going to have to know how many building blocks you can buy, aren't you? And this, isn't this the problem, that we've been here before, in a sense? Uh, previous Labour League governments have had initiatives that have been short-term, uh, not well-funded to boost public television or focused on TV. They've talked about boosting public broadcasting, public media, we haven't seen a great financial commitment, and within years, it's kind of with it. Isn't there a real danger of that unless you have funding into the future that would allow you to plan seriously for new services? Yes, um, and we're 18 months, you know, just under 18 months away from day one for the new entity, so those gaps will need to be filled by then and before then, hopefully. But there will be internal competition, won't they? Because, you know, this is... This is a TV culture depending on bringing in big bucks, if only to sustain itself or return a little bit to the government in the past. That's very different from what RNZ does, isn't it? It is very different. But, I mean, you know, internal competition within media companies is not a new thing, Colin. Every media company I've ever worked at, there's always competing demands and competing perspectives. But but they will have the weight, won't they, if there's an internal uh, competition? I mean, if, if we look at it, you know, they're a $300 million machine in ter- on plus in terms of their, you know, their ability to get revenue. For example, as looking at their annual report, they have more than 300 employees earning $100,000 a year. This is a very different sort of outfit. And if can you, can we imagine a situation where, you know, there's perhaps an RNZ side of the business wanting to expand into new services or spend money, and they're saying, look, sorry, we've got to pay, you know, tens of millions to buy the latest smash hit, you know, CSI Los Angeles from NBC or whatever it is, and they would very much see it as a tail wagging the dog if they can't operate in the way they've been used to operating, given that they still need to bring in the bucks for this new entity? I mean, you've captured the the challenge in a nutshell, but I think you can't be an RNZ or a TVNZ in this new environment. You'll need to become committed to the new entity. Yeah, but that new entity must still attract TV advertising to fund itself. It's going to be critical, and you will have a very commercial team of people and sales and programming and all of that that are used to maximising audiences to get that, and they will have the clout, won't they, whether whether you're all wearing the same badge or not? I don't think so. I don't think it can work like that, because if you look at what this organisation is going to be mandated to do to deliver um, pu- a public media service and to prioritise public media services, it will that will not happen if commercial imperatives dominate. Cabinet's been really, really clear on that. They have wrestled with this. 
it's it's not um, equivocal at all. The policy is really sound. Now, the next step, I think, is to get that into a good piece of legislation with a strong charter. So, yep, there's tensions there, there's trade-offs. Every organisation has those already. None of this will be easy, but it, it is absolutely achievable. And I think it also has the opportunity to create something much more comprehensive and useful and valued and trusted for New Zealanders. One aspect of this, and it was mentioned by the Minister on Thursday when he announced it, the imperative of delivering on the Crown's tetiriti obligations and providing Māori stories and perspectives. But, you know, there are people out there that have already looked at, say, the Public Interest Journalism Fund and seen that those projects, it's right up front there, that must be consistent and help uh, meet tetiriti obligations. Some say, look, this is the news. Um, some public organisations, sure, that's appropriate, but for news and current affairs, you don't want anything that might impinge on editors' abilities to select uh, individual stories to cover and the way they're done or where they should put their news and resources um, within uh, a new, bigger public media entity. I don't see why it has to be controversial. Both TVNZ and RNZ um, already have extensive commitment to Te Reo Māori, Te Ao Māori. The policy actually at its heart has this real strong safeguard for the editorial independence of the organisation. So the organisation will have the freedom to make its calls and make its decisions. So I don't see that being problematic at all. My personal view is that this commitment to Māori is actually fundamental and I'm not sure it could be a future-focused, relevant media organisation without that commitment front and centre. In 2020, you tried to launch a youth network. You identified that as a, an underserved audience. Um, that got complicated because and controversial because RNZ Concert was part of the plan. And in the end, does something like that become possible, more possible under this new public media entity? Indeed, if we don't target and serve younger people, will it have actually failed? If this new entity can't deliver um, trusted public media to those audiences who at the moment don't consume public media content, that'll be a big failure for the organisation. I wouldn't focus too much on any one particular um, platform, one particular service. I think there's going to be lots of experimentation and I think a lot of collaboration to deliver to those younger audiences. But it is going to be a real acid test because that's a big driver behind the entity. We simply don't know who will be in charge of the organisation. But you've been coming up for 10 years, I guess, at RNZ, um, your counterpart at TVNZ, yet to complete a couple of weeks in the big chair, I think. Um, are you going to be wanting to run this? Lots of people have asked me that question, but I'm not going to comment on it. What I will say is um, it's going to be a terrific place to work and it will need lots of great people. Um, so we'll just see what unfolds. That's Radio New Zealand's Chief Executive and Editor-in-Chief, Paul Thompson. Well, his counterpart at TVNZ, Simon Power, appeared on TVNZ's One News last Thursday to applaud his shareholders' plan for public media, though the official TVNZ response on Thursday came from Commercial Director Jodie O'Donnell, who said, We are pleased the announcement has confirmed the dual-funded nature of this new entity. And that would be music to the ears of the former TVNZ journalist behind the plan. Just 12 years ago, Chris Farfoy was covering politics at Parliament for TVNZ. Now he's the Broadcasting Minister who's pushed through the plan which will ultimately extinguish TVNZ. I know there's been a bit of commentary about why there hasn't been um, enough detail here and that is for the Establishment Board to make those decisions and um, you don't want ministers making those decisions.
we legislated against doing those things. So I think it is the right thing that we let um, the establishment board um, uh, kind of start the design uh, and working through the transition for the new um, autonomous crane entity that you talk of. And one reason that you're doing this, is it also uh, not just about the fourth estate and its uh, imports to our democracy and offshore-driven big changes of technology and all that, which are real things, but is it actually the TBNZ, uh, as many people have said for many years, a bit of an anomaly that the Crown owns a highly commercial TV company? A few years back, Treasury warned you might need to prop it up into the future if the ownership remained uh, with the, the Crown. And, um, you know, the, the business case for this new public media entity has also said profits from the, the TBNZ as it is now would, would not likely continue. Is that really one of the drivers for doing this? The absolute driver for this is making sure that audiences are well served in the future. Um, You've mentioned the kind of changing tides for TVNZ, um, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that audiences are changing and revenue changing uh, for them as well. Um, You know, the the forecast for them into the future is that, uh, as you say, that revenue decline. Um, Our legislation, um, while it allows um, to move into different platforms, is essentially based on television and radio, uh, and times are changing, and we need to change with it. And the business case that we are now finally able to see now that you've made your announcement uh, does say current arrangements are inflexible, inefficient and disjointed. If structural change isn't made, our public media entities will struggle to maintain current provision, even with increases in public funding. But clearly there'll be savings from having single sets of premises where there have been two, uh, you know, one letterhead and one copy machine and all that sort of stuff. But what's more efficient about it in terms of broadcasting and, you know, employing people and, and creating news and programming? Yeah, look, the, the things you mentioned, um, uh, while important to the troops on the ground, is the administrative of it. I think the really uh, important thing is the content uh, ability here. Um, you know, there's uh, obviously uh, a couple of years ago there was some controversy about the likes of concert. I, I think we need to kind of take what we've got um, and make it better. And I think uh, the restrictions that I think both in funding and the, and the mandate that um, RNZ has had in the past is to be able to branch out into different platforms. You know, if we can make a better investment in, like, in the likes of our symphony orchestra, they can have a presence on concert and also have a presence on a different platform that is visual. And then I think you're getting a better reflection of the kinds of cultures that. Uh, that you have in the country that I don't think we're quite able to to utilise or take to their extremes at the moment. And I think that goes whether it's the orchestra or, you know, our diverse Pacific, um, Asian or Māori communities. Uh, you know, if you tell a story um, in the new media industry, I think if it can go across all platforms and therefore be exposed to different audiences, and I want to make sure that uh, those expressions of our identity are able to be delivered regardless uh, of which platform, um, but, you know, that we maximise those stories um, as part of uh, a unified public media entity. And after the announcement, you've been pressed on how will actual services for listeners and and viewers change, you know, what will be the observable uh, um, benefit for them. And, you know, you've said, as, as you mentioned earlier, look, that'll be up to the entity itself and its managers. You can't direct broadcasting as a minister, which is fair enough. But will we end up with inevitably a single news service serving both the radio and television, you know, one kind of news website where currently TVNZ operates one, RNZ another? Look, again, um, and it might be a frustrating answer for you, those are decisions uh, for the establishment board. I think it's really important uh, that we uh, let them do that. You don't want us messing around uh, in that business. But how will, um, how will but they be incentivised to do it if 
a, a body, a board or something that's actually giving them those sorts of targets. You know, we're going to create this. This is some of the outcomes we expect from it on behalf of, of, of our view. Who's going to actually make it happen if, if, if it's not part of the, the structure of the entity as has been set out so far? That, that will be part of There will, of course, is an establishment board, and beyond that there will continue to be a board uh, which will, you know, um, you know, uh, set itself targets around the parameters that the government sets. Uh, and, and I think it's really important to, to, to let the establishment board, who will have representation um, from both RNZ and TVNZ, uh, get on with their work now. Now, the, the policy specifically says here um, it will only seek commercial revenue to the extent necessary to deliver on its public media outcomes and to operate sustainably. So that's that's pretty clear. But this is going to be a new public media entity that needs to do deals with, you know, American TV production studios and buy Hollywood movies to show to people because that's what they like and that's what brings in the audience and the ads. There is going to be tension, isn't there, between people who want to set up news and underserved audiences that might not return a whole lot of money and pretty commercially driven operation that still has to create the kind of entertainment that needs investment that's going to pull in those, those big audiences and the ads. What I want to, again, make very clear is that the new entity is going to be very heavily um, publicly media-focused. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, the, the way that things have operated in the last 20 years is that new platforms that allow um, the likes of public media to flourish haven't necessarily been there. But I do think um, a, a greater focus on digital platforms, new platforms, to get into those new audiences is something that is exciting uh, and the entity itself, um, you know, and uh, through expectations of government, uh, will set exactly what they think they need to operate in a, in a given year to make sure it can get the, the level of commercial revenue right. Um, again, not for profit. And anything that it may earn over and above that has to be put back into to the business. So that revenue in terms of uh, money coming back to the Crown um, isn't an issue for it uh, anymore. But it will have to set itself what it thinks it needs to do uh, for the period in front of it, get that money both from the Crown uh, and earn money from the commercial sector as well. And who will step in if they think that might not be happening? The revenue coming in isn't necessarily going to uh, the perhaps less commercially attractive parts of the business. Look, ultimately that's the responsibility of a board and uh, and to set expectations with the government of the day. But, you know, we've got some budget decisions to come and I'm not going to be talking about that until budget decisions uh, are made. Um, But, you know, getting that balance between Crown and commercial revenue is going to be one of the challenges that the new entity will have. Uh, We've still got to get to that state with the new entity and the personalities uh, who are in it. All the details about what level of public money might be required for this have been redacted from the business case and all the other documents published this week. I mean, why? Because uh, what, if you have confidence there's a in this... Question, there's, a, there's a really simple question for that, um, Colin, uh, and that we go through a budget process like anywhere else, like anyone else. So uh, we'll go through the process with the Minister of Finance uh, and as with every other agency, um, we'll get an outcome on budget day. But this isn't necessarily about trying to pin you down to a certain number of dollars you're prepared to commit to. It's not that. It's just, why is it not possible to give people some indication of what level of public input this might require? And then we'll know what that ratio is of the, you know, the dependence upon commercial TV revenue and, um, and what the taxpayer's putting in. Because a lot of that information uh, for us, Colin, is going to be used in the budget process. Uh, between the agencies, myself uh, and our Minister of Finance, um, and we're going through that process at the moment. Uh, that will become public uh, on Budget Day.
Yes, we'll, we'll wait and see. There is a part in the business case, actually, it says here, preferred option funding sources 21-22, uh, says there's currently $51 million in direct Crown funding for RNZ and TVNZ together, uh, and it does say here, establishment and Crown integration funding, $14.6 million. So presumably that's the sort of sum that uh, they're suggesting might be required just to get things up and running. So whatever public money might go in might need to be sort of north and that of that in the establishment phase. So that's the current funding for, for RNZ. It's about $50 million. It comes uh, via um, uh, New Zealand on air. The $14.6 million that you talk about is the money that we've uh, been able to put aside for the establishment phase um, of this transition to the new entity. Um, that was already um, uh, allocated as part of a fund that we had uh, to deal with um, issues uh, with the media in and around COVID, um, uh, and that has been allocated for the transition. So um, that's an indication of that we've got really resources for the transition uh, and the establishment team and also the current funding for RNZ. What about the secrecy that surrounded this whole thing? Right from the start, you first had consultation with a group of executives. um, And at that point, this is 2019, I think, at that point, we couldn't even say who those were. Um, There were discussions, uh, notes taken that couldn't be released to the public. I mean, at no point have the public been able to have a say. The business case group, the Armstrong group. As part of the business case group, um, they have done engagement with media entities, uh, and I think they've engaged with about 86 organisations, including um, kind of audience stakeholders, uh, and, uh, and held you know quite a sizable n- number of meetings. Um, some of it uh, has had to be behind closed doors because we're talking about some commercially sensitive um, issues and uh, con- um, components of TVNZ's work. So, uh, out of respect for that commercial sensitivity, um, we've had to, we have had to do some of that uh, behind closed doors. But the business case group um, that. Uh, Tracy Martin had led, did lead uh, uh, quite an extensive amount of of consultation uh, and engagement both on the Charter um, and with the sector itself. So um, I I know you call it secrecy, but the facts are that the Business Case Group did do some engagement and quite a lot of it. Yeah, but with actual members of the public, all they got to know about this was reports in the media saying, well, we think it's going to be a merger. We think Cabinet has greenlit it. Uh, Yeah, and and Colin, uh, uh, in early February 2020, we outlined what we were going to do. And we told the uh, and we told the public uh, that a business case was going to be done. Obviously, COVID um, intervened and that work was delayed. Um, but I went back and had a look at my speech uh, from 2020 uh, earlier this week, uh, and it's not too dissimilar um, from what I was talking about uh, on Thursday about what the proposal was. Yeah, partly that because I think RNZ's Jane Patterson, political editor, did report a few leaks to say this had already gone to cabinet and that they were minded to give it a green light. That was back in uh, no, Jan- late January 2020. So, so uh, yes, uh, well, and then we announced it uh, about a week later. So, you know, um, it hasn't been that secret. We talked about it in February 2020, and then we've announced it, the result of the business case and the Cabinet decision, which isn't too dissimilar uh, to what we were talking about back in uh, February of 2020. Um, one detail of this, uh, I guess, uh, New Zealand on air, its role in this hasn't been much discussed. Uh, over recent years, uh, its budget has got bigger and bigger as um, your government's you know, given it uh, more money to do more things, part of that in response to COVID as, as well. Um, but if the business case is calling for a more efficient system, I mean, is it more efficient to have a, a lot of money for production kind of going through this, this third operation in New Zealand on air? If we have a big public media entity with uh, uh, more capacity to produce its own programming, does New Zealand on air and contestable funding become less important? 
No, and in fact, I think it becomes more important. I think if you look at the 30-plus years uh, that New Zealand only has been uh, uh, in operation, um, I think that competitive nature and the competitive funding is extremely important to keep that tension uh, in the sector, um, both with um, uh, public media entities, uh, RNZ and TVNZ in the past, uh, and those who are bidding um, in the commercial sector as well. I think that's uh, really important. I think um, certainly the feedback um, that we were getting from stakeholders um, is that if we were to do anything with the New Zealand on air and send that funding to uh, a new entity, that there'll be concern in the market that you'd have um, uh, this entity in control of all the government funding. So I think it's really important uh, to make sure we continue that um, that, that structure with New Zealand on air. Um, we've been in, I've been party to discussions um, as we work through this, um, and, and and again, I think uh, that competitive tension uh, in the competitive um, process for that funding is extremely important to keep in the in the system. And at your time at TVNZ as a journalist, I mean, you'll remember those years where Labour-led governments did try to, uh, to boost public service television through TVNZ. Do you think it's likely to be that there will be actual non-commercial, commercial-free television? Look, I think it's definitely um, a possibility. Um, again, I don't want to get into the design of uh, the new entity and what it will do. Um, but I think um, even in that short time between six and seven coming to existence and then departing, um, technology has changed. And I think the, the ability of new platforms to make sure that, you know, um, options like that um, are more possible um, is more of a reality these days. Um, so, you know, um, it's, it, it's a decision for, um, for the new entity at the end of the day. But I think what we've set up... Um, certainly um, gives the ability for the new entity to do. I think that, uh, you know, uh, as I say, the, the technology possibilities are, are much uh, more diverse now than they were when both TV and Z6 and 7 were set up as uh, digital television channels. Uh, people talk a lot these days about falling trust in media and in news specifically, and uh, I guess in parallel, like an act of mistrust and sometimes even a kind of paranoia about government control and influence of media. Are you prepared for that? So come budget day, if it is a substantial injection of new public funds into the media, that there will be pushback from people who say, you know, too much, your, um, as even some of your political rivals uh, are saying about your interventions thus far, um, buying compliance in the media. Are you prepared to sort of have that argument if it comes up? Oh, absolutely. I think that's a component of the political challenge that we've got, but we've got to keep our eye on the price. Um, and if we were going to back away from making sure that uh, that was fit for future um, and the audience of the future um, are as best served as possible because of a little bit of politics, then I don't think we'd be doing our job. While there has been some concern, I think um, there's also been some support that there's some certainty now. Um, the new entity will take a collaborative approach, not just at a kind of strategic level in some cases, um, but for some of the smaller media companies where, you know, $100,000 means a lot, um, where you might be able to share the likes of resources. They're the, they're the actual challenges. Any suggestion about um, bias, I think, is a, a short-term challenge that we just have to weather uh, to make sure that we're doing the right thing long-term. Yeah, but the, the editors, the executives and the governors of this new public en entity will have to be out front reinforcing that message of editorial independence that, you know, more money from government for this purpose does not mean going easy on governments, government policy and uh, and government initiatives. I know that people in the shop for um, both in, in the entities that exist now are extremely uh, professional and really fierce about that. Um, it's written into the law 
um, that these entities, uh, the current entities, have to be independent, uh, both operationally and editorially. Uh, and the new law um, will mirror that. Um, you know, if you ask me about my days back at TVNZ, there's nothing more than we enjoyed making sure that we expressed our independence. Uh, and I would expect that to continue uh, in the new entity as well. That was Chris Farfoy, the Minister of Broadcasting and Media, who this week announced, after months of planning, a new public media entity will replace state-owned TBNZ and RNZ next year, if all goes to plan. Well, that's all we have for you this weekend on Media Watch, but we'll be back with more on the media at about 10.30 next Wednesday night in Midweek Media Watch, talking to Karen Hay on The Lately Show, and then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.